guys welcome back to another episode of people's stories i'm your host priyanka ocha thank you so much for joining us i truly hope you'll enjoy this beautiful story and take away some genuinely brilliant insights with you once again a heartfelt thank you for being here stay tuned and let the magic unfold Have you ever wondered what it takes to make a career in impact consulting? Join us as we take a deep dive into the captivating journey of our guest, Mrs. Arshna Pillai, a former economics professor who has now found fulfillment as an impact advisor. In our candid conversation, we unravel the world of development work, exploring the plethora of opportunities that come with it. We touch upon the conscious choice that needs to be made when pursuing a career in development space, comparing salaries and also spotlighting alternatives such as government projects, family foundations, corporate social responsibility teams and international organizations as institutions that you could work with. We also speak about her personal motivation and how her teaching background played an instrumental role in her current role in impact consulting in the final segment of our discussion archna opens up about the nitty-gritty of social sector consulting she explains how it differs from the consulting offered by mainstream firms like mckinsey accenture and ey focusing on the importance of field experience and in-depth understanding of the sector Highlighting a case study of an organization in Mumbai working with adolescent girls, we discuss the assessment of impact, the emotional investment required, and the long-term commitment essential in the social development sector. We also speak in depth about how you can transition into this space if in case is something that you are looking forward to. Arshna also talks about her future aspirations in this space, signifying the immense satisfaction derived from a career in social development. So if this is something that you would like to understand in more details, then continue listening to the episode. Hi everyone, a very, very warm welcome to another episode of People's Stories. And today I am super excited to have one of my teachers from post-graduation. Achna ma'am, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you Priyanka. Happy to be here. <laughs> So um I'm going to call you ma'am because obviously like once a teacher <laughs> always a teacher so <laughs> um ma- so you were basically teaching us uh, international business and entrepreneurship while I was doing my post graduation and I think you've del- delved into a lot of other spaces right now and today we are going to talk about impact consulting because that's what you're doing and so before we get into your like professional space Can you just very quickly introduce yourself and you know give some background around you? Yeah, thank you so much Priyanka for uh, giving me the opportunity to be on something like people's story. So uh, I'm super happy to be here. Um, I'm super happy to reconnect and you know I think very important for me is when students reach out uh, after so many years and they remember you. For both good and bad I've had experiences both ways people telling me through me out of class and all that but Nonetheless, I'm happy that you know you uh, you're doing so well with what you're doing, but also giving me an opportunity. So a little bit about me, uh, what I studied, where I grew up, and maybe then we can get into as you said, impact consulting. So I started. Uh, I mean, I grew up all over the country. Uh, my father was in central government service, so I grew up in multiple cities in India. Um, so I speak quite a few languages because of that. Um, grew up in Delhi and Bombay primarily, but have lived in Patna, Trivandrum. Hyderabad. Now I live in Chennai, so that's where it is. Bangalore as well. Um, so that's where it is. I studied economics as my undergrad degree in Bombay, and uh, went to do my masters in Trivandrum. Uh, while finishing that, I also did journalism because you know I wanted to. I felt being a journalist was something that I wanted to do. This was in the year two thousand, about two decades ago. um i studied uh, i did work uh, as uh, as a journalist for uni uh, in delhi for a while and uh, it was interesting but somehow again um, journalism was not i also delivered television and radio asian it was starting then so i did some work with them i've done all india radio 
uh, for a brief period as well. Uh, it, it was just exciting, you know, so I did it. And then I think the fundamental question, you know, when your parents ask you, is this what you want to do in life or do you really want to do something? Uh, and I think teaching was very instinctive for me. Um, I was just thinking today morning, you know, why did I become a teacher? If you ask me, my parents were very annoyed. They were not very happy with the idea. Of, I, I did very well academically. And so for them, you know, the government service was something that they thought I should be doing. And teaching was not like the coolest of things to have done. Uh, but I chose to teach. Uh, so I continued to do a PhD. I applied to a PhD program in Hyderabad. Um, I went on to do my PhD in um, international business. Um, I studied for a few years in Syracuse, that is in the United States, uh, New York, upstate New York, where I also learned and spent some time in Portugal. So traveled a bit during my PhD years and then came back to India to teach and uh, continued to teach and economics was my subject. I have taught it for many years. Uh, that is where academically I was. Um, I also met my husband on my PhD program. That's it. And, you know, we studied together. We got married. Uh, we've been married for close to 18 years now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've known each other for two whole decades. Uh, that's, uh, he's an academic too. I mean, he's a professor of finance. He continues to teach. Uh, yeah. And then I think uh, halfway through, I, you know, your typical midlife crisis, as one calls it, uh, the one when I was 35, was still teaching. I was doing well. I think I was a decent teacher. So I didn't have that issue. But then, you know, that personal thing of, okay, is this what I really want to do? And, you know, the legacy of who I am. And uh, I think a uh, big question, life question on should I continue with this? I didn't know what to do, but I thought I didn't want to teach anymore. Uh, and, the, and I just quit. So I decided like just one, one, fine day. one fine day. Okay. Yeah, yeah just one fine day. Uh, I mean, I made up my mind that I don't want to do this. Um, and you know some of my other colleagues, Nikhil and others, most of they would every morning come and check in the door saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, you know, they were like, maybe she's just going through one of those, you know, crisis moments and will come back. And not that I had a bad experience. I just wanted to quit. Uh, I quit. Uh, just had to quit. I mean, my husband also would every other morning check, you know, like, are you sure? You know, <laughs> and I have to say this, you know, when one makes this decision, because this is also a call on how one makes life choices and career choices. So I spoke to my mother. She doesn't, she's not, uh, you know, she didn't have a career or things like that. So I asked her, I'm going to do this. And uh, she said, yeah, sure, you know, just quit. And I'm like, are you not worried what I will be doing next? She said, no, you'll figure it out. It's okay. You know, if not, you can always come home and I will feed you some food. Oh, that's so, so, that's uh, so cute <laughs> of her, actually. <laughs> yes. And I want to bring that up because sometimes, you know, when people come and say parental support, this is parental support. Yes. It's not standing with you finding your college yeah. you know, it is the saying that just don't ball i mean and the risk you can take and know? also um, i think in your situation because as you're saying and i can vouch for it you you were a good teacher so like when you're doing good in that in that job then it becomes even more difficult because why yeah why would you yeah I, I and you know the other person um of course family support uh my husband for what least one year felt that i'm just exploring and i'll probably go back to teaching uh, he gave up he took one more year to give up so I quit and then yeah, that quitting was a very, you know, life decision, important one. Uh, I spent a few months uh, driving around the country. So I did road trips. Like on your own? Yes. Uh, some with my mother. Uh, my husband was busy at work. I mean, we couldn't both afford to just drive around. But I did. My mom was good company too. She used to hang around. And we would do intercity, interstate. We'd do 800, 900 kilometers, you know, just go around. Wow. Visit places. Yeah. For three, four months, I just did that. Uh, yeah, I mean... Sounds very luxurious, but at that point of time, it was like, okay, whatever, you know, I don't want to do anything more, but I want to travel. No, but just thinking about up. about you traveling with your mom, for example, or somebody <laughs> traveling with their mom, you know, like that's a, I would like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mom, uh, when she was a few years, I mean, of course, now she's not uh, physically much capable of doing it, but she was very adventurous. And so, you know, a lot of that, I think, streak came from her. Uh, so we did that. And I think towards, I think five, six months later, I think I took about five months to do this. Uh, and really told myself, I'll figure out what I need to do. And the social sector was something, development space was something I had worked with uh, as a professor at B school. And I said, I want to work on it. And then there were other people who wanted me to get back in on a career mode. So there are people, you know, your advisors, your mentors were like, what is she doing? And is she okay? And so there are many senior people, uh, very elderly would call and say, no, do something, do something, you know, what are you doing? You know, this is all okay when you retire. So uh, it's, 
I, and you have to understand that I come from a different generation. I don't come from this generation which can just drop their jobs and decide that they go and set up a cafe in Goa. I couldn't go back. I come from a time where having a job and a steady job with promotions till today, you know, like, like oh, he would have been promoted. That's that's what I heard. But uh, I started. I decided to start work in the social sector. And again, when I decided to work, I didn't know where to start. So there was a lot of okay, where do you go? Okay, work for a non-profit, work for a foundation. I I was sure I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to go from one desk type of job to like another desk job. I wanted to be in the field. What I missed being at B school was um, traveling within the country and meeting people and learning about their lives. And that was one of the most important aspects of my life. If you say the cornerstone of my life is travel, I travel even today about ten days a month for work. Otherwise, the so traveling was important. Um, I think that was one which was I had to do traveling, and in the social space, traveling meant visiting, mentoring, supporting all, and that's how it started. I was at IIT Kanpur for a year. Uh, I went there just to figure out what to do, uh, and I decided I want to study social impact measurement, which is a very interesting technical space. Uh, was new at that point of time is not very new today. Impact assessment is much more acceptable as a career, uh, and people know what to study. But when I started, there were not too much uh, of spaces people doing it, and I just started work, and that's where it happened. And then, yeah, I think from there on, we can talk about my journey where it is. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. But I actually have like a few questions that I want to ask before getting into that. So first sure. thing, first thing that's coming to my mind is that, I mean, of course, you were you were doing a a good job in terms of being a professor and you know like earning good money, and then you decided to kind of quit everything and and take some time to explore and find what you want to do. So I'm assuming that money was never a parameter for you to make decisions. Uh, it, it was a very. I mean, I I wish I could tell you how difficult it was. Um, it was because you know I don't come. I come from a salaried uh, background. Like you know, we don't have business or other things, so it's salaried uh, employees. And my husband and I used to make a certain amount of salary. Uh, there was also another life event that happened. That is, my husband decided to move organizations at the same stage that I decided to quit. He felt that he didn't want to work in the same place without me, which is very sweet. But we had to move, and when we moved. Uh, when he moved, we not just lost my salary, but he had to take a twenty percent pay cut because we moved to a smaller town. So you can imagine our monthly end. So I can tell you a feeling I used to have, right? So when initially travel, of course, my mom was kind enough to pay for petrol, and you know, like she she really lived up to that. <laughs> and once in a while, she said, "Okay, I will give the food bill." So that those things were okay. But uh, what first is when you're a salaried employee and you suddenly stop having a salary. uh you realize you don't there's no bank there's no check that comes at the end of the month which that is the first feeling you have and second is you ask yourself about expenses so you know earlier you could just go at the airport you decide you want to pick up a dress you just pick it up you wouldn't think uh, maybe a little bit about the money but you know just sudden expenditure decisions you would make it now it wasn't happening so i had to ask, should i shouldn't i will i or not and we also had a home loan that was still there so you know it's not like we didn't so it was not the best of spaces to make that decision but uh, Life teaches you a lot. Then you know it. It actually. So for me, you know, Priyanka, I always think that when you are put into these situations, you test who you really are, and it's a chance to discover who you are in these difficult because you have a vision of yourself. But when you are in that space, and you have to say no, or you know, you you can't really go out eating all the time anymore. Like you know, your dinners come now, can't buy, can't splurge. uh you check are you okay and if you are which means uh, you're fine if you're not which means you need to figure out you know like yeah i think that was my first that's how i would look at it <laughs> and it yeah it i fixed mean, itself i think that these are experiences you can only kind of understand when you go through them right go because through. yeah and and the second thing i actually wanted to ask from you is that like when i met you when i saw you as a person you know like i saw you as a very strong personality which i absolutely loved you know that's what i really like <laughs> about you yeah. and and as you said journalism like i could totally see you in the journalism <laughs> space for example or you know just standing for yourself yeah. or whatever you want where does yeah. this you know innate confidence comes from yeah i mean it is it is surprising to me because as a, as a young child i mean I, in school all through i finished class 10 I did well academically, but I was always very scared. I mean, I was not a very—I was a very shy kid. Uh, if you look, if you see me now and you look I at me, I cannot imagine. Nobody can, and none of my school friends either. You know, I'm very shy. I—I I didn't have too many friends. I had a small group of friends. Uh, 
and even I mean, I, because I was also studious by nature, I spent all my time studying. So it's not like I you know, had too many friends to play with. And there were people, but uh, so I it was very. Uh, in fact, I used to be scared. I remember my first public speaking experience. Uh, so my teachers felt that I was good with language and I should speak publicly. It was in class nine, and they wanted to speak on Republic Day. Uh, so they got me ready. I get did my speech, practice everything. I go on stage, I freeze. I'm not able to deliver the speech, and I walk off. That's my first experience, right? That's my and that was probably my only such experience. Um, if I look back, and I don't know what happened after that. I think it's a lot of, uh, I would say, support that I received through those years, through school, through friends, teachers. I mean, the belief that they had in me, I never saw in myself. Like the confidence they had. Oh no, you can do this. Or my parents that they had. I was more worried. No, no, I don't think I can do that. There was never pressure to perform, like at home. Not at school either, but I did well, and you know, and then that led to it. Once I finished school, I think I changed as a person. You know, once I went to um, plus two, I was in junior college in Bombay. Uh, so I was supremely active all through my degree years. I was in all club activities. I ran everything that I wanted. I changed as a person, and I think that comes from for me. Uh, maybe it was always there, and that is why I feel people around me nurtured that. So it was not that I went and did it. And what you said about strength, also like standing up. Um, I think comes a lot from my parents because they, you know, uh, and I say that because I have a lot of other friends who grew up with me, people who grew up in the same neighborhood as me, who were constantly told you can't do this because you're a girl or you can't go here because you're a girl. My parents never did that to me, you know, and whether it was going out at night, whether it was hanging out with boys, I never heard that. And because I didn't hear that, there was always that sense of self that okay, you know, I can do this, you know. Uh, and my parents also never uh, embargoed me. This is beyond your. Uh, I mean, I have a brother too. I have a younger brother, but I've seen that. So, if when you ask me this question, what comes back to my mind is that that kind of an ecosystem makes you who you are. You. It's not that I was idealistically a strong person. No, you know. In fact, uh, as a young child in nursery, other I was bullied very well. So it's not like I was always this, you know, warrior princess. No, it was not. But uh, I, that that's how I see it, and I think then it it perpetrates, right? And it grows. On its own, yeah, um, yeah, and mm. yeah, and and that's what you pass on as well, right? Like, for right, yes. for example, whoever you meet, like whoever you interact with, I think that's that's something that you would always pass on along to other people's yes. as well. So, something that I could, I I had the privilege to kind of take from you was was this aspect of okay, whatever you want to do, like do that, do it, yes, <laughs> um, yes. yeah. Um, Okay, so let's let's try to understand now this impact consulting space, and all of us like are very aware of what you know consulting in general is, from all these big firms and big fours and all of these. What is impact consulting, and how is it different from the traditional, you know, business consulting or management consulting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I am happy to do this piece because it's also you know very important for me to communicate. Um, one is how the sector evolved and uh, what what is this role, right? So you see a lot of people, I'm sure, the generation that probably will listen to this knows what the development sector is like, like you know, the for-profit, non-profit space. And we always hear a lot of people who come into the sector who have worked in the corporate, spend a lot of time and then said, oh, I don't think this is giving me the satisfaction I want and I want to go and give back to society. So that is where you'd meet a lot of young people today who say, I want to come and work in the dev space. And they ask, you know, what? What can I do in the space? Uh, that the reason I'm also saying this: there are some people who come to the space because they think this is what they want, and then they go back because they feel they were not. This is not what they wanted to do, or they expected to do. So, the, so I would not say demystifying, but decluttering a little bit of what the development space is, and then what impact consulting is. Uh, I will do that. So, I think the development sector has evolved uh, globally and specifically in India. Uh, it's a very professional sector now. Earlier when you worked for an NGO, it was like, oh, you know what, you have some time. You're sitting at home. Your children have grown up. Why don't you go work for an NGO? That's the kind of image which, uh, you know, people had. I had to encounter it too. A lot of people uh, asked me when I moved to the sector, oh, you're really bored of life and that is why probably you're doing it. Which is which sometimes is demeaning, but that's how the sector is perceived. So you have to be very careful as you tread in saying, no, I'm a professional. And today, nonprofits. Uh, I have mentored nonprofits which are on the great places to work list today. So it's not like anymore, oh, you know what, I'm just bored, that's why I'm doing this. So it's a very hard course. It's a con sector. conscious decision, decision making that people are doing now. 
Yes, yes. And, they, and they're choosing development as a career. So there was a stage when you looked at development as a opportunity to give back to society, volunteer. Okay, I'm going through a difficult phase in my life. You know, I've gone through a divorce and I want two years off, so I'll go work with the dev. I've heard people say that. I want to just get back, uh, which is not what it is today. So you today consciously choose not just as a workspace, but also as a career option. So you're choosing your next part of your career. And the good thing is today's young people, and I'm, I'm really proud of the fact when I say young people, people in their early 20s today, don't look at what they choose and study as their lifelong career. They know that they will do it. But if something else comes up, which they like, they will move. And that is why a lot of people in that generation are, you know, beginning to move um, into spaces. One is entrepreneurship, which I'm, I'm absolutely happy that they're doing it because that's a big space, but also social entrepreneurship. So the space that I'm in, in the development sector, we, I also find a lot of social entrepreneurs, young people in their mid-20s to mid-30s who are making these kinds of choices. So that is one, right? So the, the sector has changed. The sector has become professional. The sector is more challenging. Um, I think the dynamics of young people today has also changed. You know, like if you talk to your parents or grandparents, probably they would choose a job which was their career for 40 years. They would stay there. It was loyalty. It was, I'm going to just do only only this all the time, right? I'm not going to do anything else. I wouldn't take a risk with my life. If I was a businessman, I lived in one town. I did business. I did business there. I had some export. I would probably export a little bit. So there was something called, uh, you know, security, financial security, which is a key word. And that has changed a lot today because because parents of young people are financially secure, younger people are making bolder decisions of saying, okay, I will do this, uh, which is great, which is, you know, which is, I think, what the prod point. In the dev, fortunately, because of one is professionalism. Second is, uh, I must say this also, uh, I'm sure young people who listen to this would want to know, does it pay well? It pays adequately. It may not pay a corporate salary, but it does pay a decent amount of so it is no more, again, very small salaries. It is a decent amount of salary. When I say decent, it could make, depending on the positions you are, the experience you have, you could make 12, 15, 20 lakhs a year easily, which which as per Indian standards is good enough for you to you know, live a decent life. You can do what you want, like take a holiday, uh, do all those things. So the sector pays well. The sector is uh, looking for higher quality talent, which means it has become competitive, which it was not earlier. So today, if you apply for a job when you're transitioning, there's no guarantee you're going to get it because if other people are applying for the same thing. So which also means that there is, uh, people are asking, what are you bringing to the sector? So are you bringing, uh, you know, are you bringing operations experience? Do you bring marketing experience? Like, for example, a lot of marketing firms now do social sector. So they bring that experience of marketing, but what we need is adapt them to uh, the NGO thinking or the um, development sector thinking. They're able to do that. So that is the kind of approach that uh, you know, I think organizations today are looking at and young people today find it. So that's one opportunity. So sector, as I said, this is not just a sector, it's a career that you can choose. Mm-hmm. And there's an opportunity to experiment. So you can also move around the spaces. And ma'am, one, so if you look at the, one yeah, question that I'm thinking about is when you're saying dev, so uh, development basically, are you meaning um, like to be to be working on the ground um, okay, I'll explain. Yeah, I'll explain what is the structure of the. So, what are the ways in which you can do the dev? It is not necessarily on the ground. So, you could probably work for a Dell Foundation in their Delhi office. It is also development sector work, where there are typical functions like marketing, fundraising, operations, program training. So, Dell probably funds hundred NGOs, and thereby needs a program management team to take care of that. So, you could be an operations manager managing their programs that they give funding to. So you can actually take managerial talent to the dev sector. And there it is not on-ground dev. So you can work for family foundations. You can work for large corporations. They most or most large corporations have the CSR teams, corporate social responsibility teams. You could work on those teams where specifically the corporate is putting around money and helping you help them manage the not just the financial aspect, but the social aspect. So, for example, a corporate is working on environment or climate change for this year. And you get to work in a sector and look at, let's say, 10, 15 organizations working in the space, travel, study, give them support, use your skills. You're using managerial skills. When I say development, I mean the landscape of all this. So there is international organizations. You could work for the UN, World Bank. Those are, of course, more career positions. You have to ideally have a development degree. You can't go there without a development degree. You have a master's in development or social work. And you apply to those programs. Uh, There are many positions that open. That is one space. Second is you could work in foundations or uh, CSR arms, or you could also work with large 
social sector organization non profits like for example you want to work with seva the one that makes lijjat papad they have a large pan india presence of pradhan which has a large large pan india presence these are all social sector organizations which are run like corporations with the size of that and then they will need a manager here or they you will be state manager or regional manager but you are also supervising them and the also with government the last leg yes with government as well so today with government uh, say for example niti aayog today has contractual positions that you could apply for so you could apply for so let's say you work for kpmg or eny you know you could take a sabbatical and apply for a one year position to niti aayog and niti aayog has an office called the dmeo the monitoring and evaluation office which continuously puts out contractual positions so you could go there work for two years what does that do you get to see development work large scale from the government perspective so you probably have not seen what implementing a pradhan mantri rozgar yojana or aawas yojana looks like but when you work for this for two years and this is probably so you are already consulting you are already doing consulting with let's say a large firm you could just take two years off so i've seen a lot of young people do that i mean i've mentored people who've done that gone into niti aayog so you can work with government and, and this uh, is the prerequisite proper jobs mm-hmm. and the prerequisites yes, to be in this uh, like for example to apply to any of these programs or like do you need again a degree or just apply yes yes no so you don't need a masters degree in development you need a masters degree in general so i'm sure everybody you know have you have to do a minimum masters degree the purpose is if you only done undergrad you may not be good enough then depending on the type of role you apply to niti aayog somebody with a 5 years to 7 years experience can also apply to an associate position so they have these associate positions somebody i mentored from ximb she worked uh, i think for 5 years in the development space and then went in but even if you don't have development experience like there are people who work with apmg let's say but you have done government related project your cv should have some tinker of so for a government like position some exposure to government or uh, social sector activity so you can't probably come from coding directly so that would be like oh you don't know how that sector works you don't need to have done full fledged jobs but your job may have had that interface for example at government department plants let's say you worked in a uh, in a firm where the ministry of health and family welfare was your client so you probably understand the schemes they have or the projects they have the so idea is that enough. you should so, have some kind of exposure um sure. yes and is this only for the government organization that you're talking about or also for private ones so in the private space i think it is a little bit more open the reason is uh, in the private sector they probably look at your managerial skills so for example uh, one of the positions uh, i was hiring helping hire we hired somebody uh, from a goldman sachs who for senior position somebody from goldman sachs whose entire career was in finance till then but basically done only finance then was um, uh, undergrad degree i mean iit madras i am bangalore but had worked for 14 17 years i think with investment banks and that person was heading a practice uh, in a development space but what why do you hire someone like that you hire them because they bring that talent they bring years of understanding of this managerial talent and then there was of course inclination but this person had no i don't think uh, ever spent time on the ground like has not no, not no field experience and also lived majority of the professional life in uk not even in india so that is one uh we also hire for associate level for example entry level positions you want to go into an entry level position in a non profit to understand so you could so for example if your job in corporate was pr you could apply for either pr or fundraising activities in the cor- in the non profit the sector and there are lots of people who look for a- able hands to be able to do this so if you've done marketing you know how to be able to pitch you can go to a non profit and tell them that you can fundraising for them they don't have prerequisites in fact uh, you know a, a lot of times i tell people that they can write down what they think are their strengths and take it to the organization say this is what i am good at and you will find good positions so even strategy planning like four year strategies five year strategies overall design so depending on so i think before you enter the sector you ask yourself what are you bringing what is the skill set you are bringing do you have exposure that's one that's great you have if you have a dev degree great then these are entry points are easy if you are not why are you transitioning but what are your skills like i've done finance all my life or i have done ops I have worked with Gati, and I know how to manage logistics. Large organizations like your Akshay Patra probably need somebody to manage their kitchen, and you can work in that kind of roles, right? So because there again, it is you understand how to end, to do value chains, and you can get in. So I think uh, requirements, even for the government, I mean, there's no strict requirement. It's just that if you are, you know, good enough, uh, if you have done something, you will get it. And I also feel personally, in my experience of having hired people across the board, even if you have not worked. 
I have seen a lot of people who come to the sector who so probably volunteered in some capacity. So they have spent time in the social space in some way and thereby have this calling. It is it comes with that. So you will probably not have chosen to come move to the space if you have not had that inclination or you know that exposure which says let me use my time differently. And typically, like everybody that you've you've seen in this particular area, like your, you know, like your ecosystem in general, is everybody here because you know, like they found this as the thing that they want to do. So it's like something that they really want to work on. Or have people also stumbled upon it and 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 felt like, okay, this is something interesting. I want to do it. Yeah, I mean, funny that you ask because there are a lot of people. We know I ask the question when we hire. I mean, I I help other people hire resources and. I always ask them this question: Why are they here, and how do they decide? More, more often than not, it's not a conscious choice. So they've basically stumbled upon it. Uh, very rarely. So people who have chosen the sector are also people who probably study, spend some time in dev. You know, so they will probably clearly be there. But I have seen majority of the people who chosen the space are they just stumble upon it. Like they have a friend or a family friend or a sister or a sibling who decided to do it, and then they see it and say, "Oh, this is great. Let me try." and uh, how many of them believe this is where they want to be i think i have both answers so one is that there are people who come here and they like take a fish to water and you know are happy like they uh, they struggle a little bit in terms of maybe adjusting to let's say professional protocols punctuality discipline the sector is is getting there but you know it's it's more like okay you have to be accommodative of everyone uh, so if there's a meeting and people don't show up you can't just throw tantrums you wait people to come I think that understanding has happened, but there are also people I've met who, um, who very graciously felt this is not what gives them satisfaction. So they've tried it; they would do it, but this is not necessarily mm. what they want to do as a career, and they move. But is there some kind so of you have? I'm just thinking: is there some kind of moral dilemma that people face when they decide that you know this is not for me? I think more than the moral dilemma. So it's it's like uh, I told you right what they come in with. So if they come in with the notion that they are coming here because they have something more to offer and uh, you know, they look at it as their calling, then they probably feel disappointed faster. If you come in with the expectation that I'm on just I just want to figure out another sector. So for example, I'm doing coding. I want to do gaming. I'm going to try doing it. If it does work, I'll go back. So if I have that attitude, I'm fine. But the, the I think the people who get disappointed the more are the people who feel that they have come here with a purpose. So it's it's I think everywhere, right? As you change or switch careers or as you decide, if you give it a you know okay, I'm going to experiment and see what happens. And I think be kind to yourself. Like a lot of people, you know, take that flack of oh my god, I didn't do well. I'm like it's okay, you know, it's uh, no big deal. And people move on. Yeah, and so in terms of consulting, so from what I am understanding, from basically from what you are telling up until now is. it's very similar to consulting in general like management consulting in general as you would do in other, any other yeah. firm based on which area you are in just the um let's say the target space is a little different it's it's focus a little more on social aspects is that correct or yes yes so uh, the difference between so i i don't know what the social also you know so that is why from the word social we use the word development because social probably relates to only social issues and social causes here we are saying development as in poverty eradication a quality of education so the sec- the definition is larger so i think now we again jar- jargon of sectors right so sectors now social word has changed although we call it social impact assessment um, the the designs are called impact assessment but this consulting is social it's also called social sector consulting so if you go to deloitte or enpy or kpmg and you drop down on their services they will have social sector as a sector or dev sector as and they also do social sector for example deloitte has a social impact team in bombay big one which whose uh, primary function is to do social sector mm. and when they do social sector it means development government international organization so even there it is mm. there. so what what is different in this how, how is it different from let's say a mckinsey or a pcg's consulting in fact mckinsey also has social sector consulting so that shows how the sectors change that today even large firms have specialization what is the cause and purpose it's it's very similar to any other consulting task where you help an organization either in strategy operations marketing growth uh, expanding to new markets like uh, we work on strategy with uh, organizations when i say ngos which want to go to other countries or with uh, large international ngos like counterpart or opportunity who have businesses across i mean who basically have practices around countries and want to compare 
so you do see that uh, you know it's very similar to your standard consulting and requires the same set of consulting skills mm. i think the only difference if i may pull out is sector exposure and that is where a little bit and i we can talk about it in detail is a little bit of field understanding helps so compared to where let's say i'm studying shipping and let's say i'm a shipping i'm a consultant who works the dock i will probably visit the yard look at ships i need to understand but if i don't i can probably study it on a book that do it but you will still do field right you will still go into the ground speak to grassroots technicians employees so as a consultant you do that you do visit um, your sites at least once in a while except maybe in pure services like financial services and others you don't really need a client interface uh, uh, i mean user interface directly mm. uh, so it will happen i mean i think that is the difference other than that uh, priyanka honestly it is the same type of consulting because i worked with people who come from mckinsey accenture and all that and the only difference is probably when you are consulting in an accenture or a kpmg or ey you may not see the ultimate user of your product here you probably will see mm. because you're working with the company with the ngo with the non profit the for profit organization you'll also see their beneficiaries directly when you do consulting at a very high level you don't see who's going to use it there's a report that goes and that's it here it's not just report you finish a report you help them with implementation you sit in on meeting you go into the field so i think the responsibility ownership you have is a little bit more mm-hmm. than writing a report mm-hmm. it's oh no what i'm saying could be yeah that's that's probably the second difference in terms of situation. yeah 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 i think that makes it much more clear to understand and visualize like what's going to look like um also in terms of um can you probably talk about a use start use case or a, you know like a case study that can explain what impact assessment is and you know what is so what's the purpose and how would you approach it and what's the end result um from that from any experience that you have sure uh so uh, i'm going to pick up i mean quite a few but i will pick up one on adolescent girls a project that i worked with on adolescent girls and it has a little bit of an international ramification because we've done i've seen similar studies in other countries so um this is, a, this is an organization based out of mumbai uh, it's run by by an actress uh, super smart uh, actress and she runs an organization which uh, basically helps young girls adolescent girls practice self defense so empower them to be able to uh, protect themselves in cases of any difficulty that might arise a uh, very simple logic of this is that you teach these girls some skills and they can use it if need be so what should be the value and impact of such a task uh, this program was run this is a pre i can talk about the pre covid and the post covid and i'll talk a little bit pre covid it used to be run as a you know follow on session on a friday or a saturday where the trainer would go to the school and this was run across i think 300 plus government schools in mumbai at that point of time and when i say adolescent girls the girls between the ages of 11 to 16 11 12 to 16 uh, and they were taught you know the, the team would go to the school and run these activities and like an additional piece of activity so i think uh, as uh, he was running the organization i think he got asked the same question what is the impact you are generating i think people come to me when you know there is impact right you know of course it's good but how do you prove that there is value of um, self defense training for your adolescent girls and uh, what is the logic i mean all of us agree oh there is it's high value but if you if a donor asks a donor wants to know what is the real value like why should i support you or uh, if if an international organization wants to replicate the module in let's say uh, europe or uh, scandinavia or any of these other you know, or east asia why will i pick the same model so uh, she came to me when two two times she came to me actually two times the first time she came to me saying that i need an assessment done of the work that i'm doing and that point of time she was already doing some data collection and all that the second time she came to me was uh, in covid her program had stopped because schools were shut down and uh, she was piloting an online chatbot for the girls so it was going away from being physical to be a chatbot see because i think in the period we also saw a lot of data around uh, violence and other things that was probably hiding under the garb of being at home or whatever so she felt like the app and that is when she came to me to do the app uh, the reason i'm telling the long story is also to probably get people thinking if i have to say that this program deals value see she can get donations probably from few people by telling the story but to run an organization to do large scale work you need you need more investment so who would invest in a bot which works with uh, young girls and teaches them self defense and what will the bot do the bot will probably say do this do so many crunches do so many lifts you know 
give you some material on uh, gender based violence explain to you what abuse would be and play some games with you and learn but why would uh, any corporate want to give money to her so we decided we will do an assessment so she wanted me to do a pilot assessment for her that is we wanted to see first is whether the chatbot is working and if so what is the value of it so what does impact assessment do impact assessment basically tries to understand in a general good uh, quality assessment is where you understand the client's problem or concern why are they why do they approach you and what is it they trying to do and then you design a full fledged study basically it's more like a study design than an assessment alone so maybe the assessment word at times is confused like an educational assessment at the end of the course no this is not like that this is more a strategic exercise where you are studying first you understand their problem uh, what is their focus and where do they want to go so here it was very clear one she wanted to prove the value of the bot uh, second she wanted to take the bot to scale because bot was an easier way to scale than running the physical class alone because in our times parents were not happy with the idea of girls being seen doing kicking or learning karate it was not seen as uh, feminine enough uh, so again so if you had a bot you could do probably in your house and still learn these things so we we sat down we said what is that what value how do we assess the uh, impact of an app like this? so what is the value generates so we we have multiple techniques of course here this is there's a la- large amount of uh, adolescent psychology that uh, we have so on my team normally we have a, a subject matter expert so i had somebody who had studied gender and psychology who was helping us understand the background of these kind of students and studies and we said we'll we'll try and assess their the value this uh, app is adding or bot is adding to them in multiple dimensions one is physical second is psychological physical easy to measure because you would probably give them an online test of how many minutes they can hold a plank or seconds they can hold a plank and say okay there is improvement so physical was easy i think ncrt in india also has a set of guidelines for physical health for kids so that was important why was that important the premise here is that when girls are physically fit they can take care of themselves so especially the girls when they go through puberty that is the age of puberty and adolescence uh, either get anorexic they stop eating or they go the other way around like they end up overeating and around so uh, the physical fitness piece was very important and i think that helped them reach out to the masses especially in government schools because the pt periods were always for girls it was free in government schools they were not doing any activity they maybe played a little bit but they really did not you know they were not like athletic enough and so the school teachers were more than happy to have this program right so and i think parents also had no issue when it was in school when it came online like okay now you need to find the time somebody has to prompt you you may not have a phone so how do you make sure it happens so one is we said we'll understand the physical benefits that a girl is uh, getting out of it and then the emotional social and psychological benefits so are there any values why did we do this in the first place we are doing this so that uh, girls have internal support and strength to be able to let's say you are you know you you encounter eve teasing on the way back from school how will you deal with it it's not necessary that you have to kick the person but you know can you stand up for yourself and can you say what needs to be said and walk on without being subdued by what is happening over it or if a friend is going through it so how do we assess that so in psychology we do multiple uh, you know social we use techniques called vignettes role play to understand that so again these girls how do we assess them we have to figure out do they respond like this because you taught them or do they actually have instinct because a lot of time young people when you ask them will you do this they will say the right thing because that's supposed to be the right thing to be said but as an assessor you can't say oh i got all positive answers so you have to do simulations like put them through scenarios exercises it was very difficult was also covid period you know for us to get girls together was not possible we had to get parental permission so in a design like this what we do is we basically break up how we should assess so just to give you i'm not going to go into the full framework i will stop with an example of how we saw change how we documented change one of the very interesting uh, piece of evidence that came from parents and we asked what is the value of such a program uh, so for example some of the parents reported that the girls now claim a glass of milk at night saying i also want to milk by sure by surely my brother drink milk i also want a glass of milk. so the ability to stand up and ask for themselves it might look to an untrained eye it might look like oh, what's the big deal about asking for a glass of milk it's a very big deal it's a first step towards uh, you know expressing an idea of myself and asking for something uh similarly um, you know there were many many of the girls and teachers reported instances of them protecting other girls that is girls who were like being abused or you know standing up there were situations where if they found that in a parent's house something was like in a friend's house something was happening they would get their parents to go and counsel the other parents 
So you see a lot of behavioral change which happens. And how does one document these? So there are methods, qualitative research techniques that I use. We use this to document. Now what happens? The donor then begins to see value. It is not just about that class and that 20 minutes of exercise. It's not an exercise class. It's a class where you're building girls' resistance ability to do these things. So this is what we studied. I mean, it took us a while, three months of pilot. Uh, there are methods to it. And then she was able to use this. I think uh, I do remember that after a point of time, she did win a few awards for this work and the bot that she created. So this helps them, one, is understand the actual value they're creating and how does one report on that value. And second, uh, gives other people, so assessment gives the third party credibility, saying that, okay, you know what, somebody else has looked at your work and they feel, so my job is to basically help them get more credibility for their work, mm. instead of just storytelling. Mm. You know, earlier it was just storytelling of videos. Yeah, yeah, got Today, it. Today it is actually number. Yeah. So I mean, so that's the difference. Yeah, all right. So in terms of assessment, basically, it could be, as you were saying, it could be quantitative assessment, which requires a lot of technical skill sets, right? Uh, so yes. um, statistics yes. and all of that. And then it could also be qualitative assessment, as you were saying, which could, yes. which could deal with yes. behavioral changes or those kind of things. Yeah. Um, I think in general, it looks like a very interesting space, but what I'm also trying to understand is like, now we understood that, okay, what, what is the kind of work you might do? You know, this is one use case, one, one example. I'm sure there are thousands of, um, different kinds of examples. Um, if somebody wants to, let's say if somebody has made up their mind, they want to kind of test themselves or want to get into it, like consciously, um, would you have an eye, like, would you have a framework in your mind? Like, how can you do that? Like, what courses should you pursue? You know, how you should start your journey? And what could your career progression look like? If in case, for example, sure. you're also ambitious about it and want to make it big uh, in your life? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really good question because I must also say how the sector's changed in the last 15 years, right? So I, I've been around for, I mean, I've been consciously in the sector for the last 10 years, but spent five, seven years before that also. So I think more than just how do you plan, I would say, uh, what is the value you now have? And of course, the journey you can take. So depending on whether you want to choose it as a full-time. So if you have decided to choose it as a full-time career uh, and really feel that you are, if you're still experimental, I would go differently. But if you consciously feel here's what you want to do, I think uh, up front, you should try and get yourself a master's degree in development. Because that's from India or overseas, whether it's from a TIS or Nexcel or any of the Indian institutions that will bring you there. Or go abroad and study, do a proper master's in development studies or social work or master's in public policy. There are a few of these dimensions. Some of these programs are good scholarship-based programs. That is one approach. Second is, uh, I mean, this is where you're investing two years' time plus money. Supposing you don't want to do that, right? And if you have the chance to take a sabbatical, assuming that you worked enough years and saved up money and you convinced your parents you want some time off, you could pick up any of the fellowships in India. So India has multiple fellowships like Teach for India, Piramal, you know, there are many CM's office fellowships. You could work with the Chief Minister of Jammu and Kashmir, Chief Minister of Madhya Pradesh. Their offices have fellowship positions. You get salaries. I'm not saying you, but your salary will not be a few lakhs or even lakh, be much lesser, but you will get some money. And when you're in that space, so you choose a fellowship, but you're, you probably have four years of working. So which means you're not a fresher out of college. When you go there, they will look at your background, interview and say what you can do. So if you could be at a CM's office, helping the CM's office put together uh, data from CM's rallies or you know, information that could be used by the CM. Even the ministers, for example, Nirmala Sitaraman has an office where people go and take a year off and work with her on her projects. So you have that option. But again, here in both cases, you're committing to time. right? So you're saying, one is you take two years off and put money into it. Second is you take a year off, uh, convince your org and come back and do it. The third way to do it, and if you're still you know, serious but are not sure whether you should go in or not, is to probably do weekend work. So there is there is a lot of gig economy work, gig type of work in the sector. So let's, uh, I mean, I, I'm helping one uh, young girl who I've known for a very long time. Um, she's returned from the US, quit her job with Apple, doesn't want to do that. She wants to work in the space. So she said, I want to spend some time, but I can't give up a job. What should I do? I said, start volunteering. And when you say volunteering, it is not going and feeding people. Volunteering on a technical side to understand the org function. So I'm trying to help her get a space with one of the orgs very close to her house where she can look at how her coding skill set or operation skill set can be used by the team. And she gets to do this at least once or twice. I mean, at least two days a week. She's tried Saturday, Sunday, maybe. I don't know how far she'll go with that. But she said, I will do that. 
and some days in the evening. So that again gives you a sense of you keep your job, but you test it and say, okay, you know, do I see myself doing this every day? Doing it on a weekend and doing it every day is different. So you know, you will also ask yourself, and maybe it will tell you time or not time. So from that point of view, these are the ways to approach it. Like I would look at it. Probably one more fourth and very radical way, which I think is very important. I mean, I don't know how many people can actually do it. Is basically take a year off and travel the country and be in the field. I would say that's a very adventurous thing to do. I've seen a lot of uh, young uh, students from American European universities who have worked with me in the sector. You know, choose to take a year off just to go visit another country and learn. You know, um, I don't think we have that culture as yet in India, but assuming you have other audiences, and it's still not possible to do that. But that's the best way to look at. One is, I think. Exploring the space landscape, you see the country, you travel, you get to eat, see cultures, like you see uh, superstitions, myths, and you also see sometimes the exaggeration of these. Like, you know, it may be over exaggerated because the media is reporting on the bad cases, and you see good ones and say, oh, you know what, this is not so bad. So that's one, you know? and 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 along with it, uh, yeah, you get a change. These are. I can add I to mm, I can just add to that last one that you are saying because I know a lot of my colleagues or people have come to know here in Germany it's like a very common thing you would you know after your graduation or after your school you would just take a year off and go to some country a lot of people choose to just go around the world and see uh, different countries a lot of people choose to get into social space uh, and try to understand, you know, how it's looking like. And then based off of that, they choose what they want to do further. So I think it's a very yeah. good idea. Like I, I personally would definitely recommend if it's possible, but yeah. it's a privileged thing to do. Like, of course, as yeah. you mentioned. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's not difficult, right? So I think depending on your life choices. Uh, one more thing I'd like to add, I've also seen people, not necessarily young, okay, not in the 25, 35. I've also seen people in their mid 35 to 45. So that's also another bracket to people who actually are now beginning to have that midlife and transition thing. Uh, for them, the risk taking is higher. When you're younger, you probably are not putting in that much of risk. It's okay. You take a year off, your parents will probably feed you and you can get back to work. But if you have a family, you know, you have children going to school and you have a loan to pay, then that decision is a little tough. And that is where a little bit more of the structured part comes in where you actually choose, you know, like for example, somebody wants a CEO position or somebody, some organization looking for a CEO hire. They need not be from the sector. They could be someone who has worked in uh, strategy capacities in uh, in organizations. But when they come in, they're expected to at least do enough field through the year to learn because they probably have not. Many of the people I'm also seeing in the sector are coming back from overseas, which means the last 15, 20 years of their life, they've not even been in India. They've lived abroad. right? So used to a particular lifestyle. They come home, they may have visit their family. But that's so I'm seeing that transition as well. So one is the 25, 35 the people who really early stage make the decision, but also people in their midlife who um, who reach out to make this decision. And many of them have quite a few of them that I've seen around. You know, like they take the risk. You know, like they will speak to their spouse and say, "Okay, I'm going to take a year off." Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, as you're saying, in terms of career progression, I'm assuming that uh, again, all the positions are present. Like depending on how much time yeah. you spent and. You can obviously yes. progress the similar way as yeah. in as in corporate, right? As in corporate, yeah, yeah. So when you transition, the corporate experience is valued as is, as is. So if you let's say spend seven years or eight years doing something, it's valued as is. The differential is how much of the social do you bring in? Like is it zero to whatever like you spend? And that is where if you're planning. So I think advice I give people when they're thinking of more sectors and consciously start doing, let's say one st- one project on part-time work. Let's say you go help a friend who's running an NGO manage his finance, help him set up a proper system to collect the invoicing. Or a, so these are experiences, right? So here you're just helping a friend. But you're, so you can build that slowly uh, as you do it. So, you know, it's always more smoother transition. Mm. You mentioned earlier that you help a lot of people also hiring. Um, is this something yes. that you like actively look for? And what are the other skills that you look no. for? <laughs> No, I don't really, I don't like too much of the hiring business, but uh, because I'm mentored to a few of the organizations that I've supported, um, like the Nudge Foundation, I'm an impact advisor on the Nudge. Uh, so most of the hiring on the impact team, the last round goes through me. Other than that, uh, at NSRCell, uh, at IIM Bangalore, we do a lot of screening uh, for applications. In fact, I, this week we were doing women entrepreneurs. Last week I was doing rural women entrepreneurs. So I do work with that kind of people. So help them. It's not a I think it's not a conscious uh, choice to do that, but uh, people feel that, you know, you have an eye for picking up the right kind of person. So I think that support is yeah. required. So, and yeah. what are the skills that you would look at typically? 
तो see most of the time when it is entrepreneurs sorry um, uh, in in the impact side what we look for as i said is one is your technical skill so everybody has some technical skill that they bring whether it's a communication degree whether it's an electronics degree what is that you're bringing in right so sometimes we have people who probably manage large teams and that's what they want to talk about so i look at what skills that you have um how you know and i think very important is openness because when you're coming into a sector that you have not planned or you don't know you've been studying so not your natural growth are you very rigid or not so i think personality is very important so we put we do a lot of these situation testing give them you know work on role plays i give them situations a lot of time to handle uh, very often when i am doing assessments we also uh, evaluation we also give them a test before like give them a case study overnight work on it come back so you are testing not for technical skill i mean given that technical is there you're looking more for attitude and willingness and readiness because it's also commitment right so i feel like a lot of people you know when you hire them you also train and support them so for me it's a lot of emotional investment in these people so it's like my students only all right at least your students they, they will remain your students they are grateful for that learning your people will just come they learn and they disappear i'm like oh, I, i spent six months training this person and he's just oh, i'm going somewhere else which it happens in corporate so i think that's uh, the reason why i would say skill sets what is their you know long term willingness to stay uh, technical is okay but i think development understanding like um, I, i can give a very strong example to prove this point as recently hiring uh, for a position and uh, this person was a a law a law student uh, who was applying and has worked in dev has done volunteering but the very strong attitude that came through was that uh, uh i am better off and these people are below me so very a very strong level of condescension that you know i am coming in because i am better off multiple times you know i tried as a maybe it's a it's a legacy of something which is coming through and did you see that the candidate was really good you know good technically good was good in methods had manual spreadsheets everything quant and all that but this was a big no for us like i said no this is not going to work because if you're going in with you know dealing with people thinking i am better off than you then you probably are not uh, you know ready for this so a lot of humility and kindness i think uh, it it comes through when you talk to people you know uh, and without that i don't think the sector will ever accept a person you may be very good but you can't be here without humility yeah i think that's like a given right because i mean i think one of the reasons why you would want to get into this area would be because of uh, because of what you yeah. see around you and you want to really contribute to something Okay I I think we've had like this was like one of the most knowledgeable sessions <laughs> I've had uh, I think I I would like to close it with with your take on how it has been for you because as you mentioned in the beginning you know it was like a conscious choice that you made and yeah. you had to go through a lot of thinking and you know like convincing and all of that how are you liking it now like what has your experience been Yes, I think this is going to be a probably a shock for people who listen to this in the future. But you know, I um, I don't like monotony in anything that I do. Uh, I mean, I, I'm very change oriented. I love challenge and change. And I think I've also I've also begun to reach a space in the sector and technique where I feel like oh, I think this is I've done this before. I've done this before. You know, and then for me as a person, when I have done this before comes, I'm like, okay, what next? What next? You know, so I think that's the trigger where I'm at. But uh, I've been very, very satisfied. In fact, I have my own consulting practice, which is now three years old. And you know, uh, and there again, um, I don't have a large team that I've built. So we just, just two of us, me and the co-founder. And I'm very, very clear that the reason I'm doing this because we we like what we do together, and we get people to help us on each project. But if at some stage I feel like you know somebody else should run this, I would more than be happy. so the sector is again so personality wise right so i think as a person as i grew uh, and the how i have seen life and many of this uh, i i like this space i feel there is value but uh, you know that even as a teacher i was okay so it's not like i didn't add value as an economics prof but same here you know so i feel like i'm i'm doing okay people like me they call me so i feel like there's some validation uh, but then again there is always a fundamental question i've been in the sector for a very long like for example i've done evaluated education healthcare i still see the same things we are repeating but we're very slow development is not a very gradual process i'm asking myself you know is there anything more i'm i'm very selfish that way i want to know what more in is in it for me mm. so yeah maybe you know i don't know maybe the next time we speak i'd probably be on a new career path <laughs> i'm going to ask one more question feel free not to answer but yeah, uh they say that if you if if this question is asked from you and you can answer it clearly then basically it kind of defines a lot of things and so we would ask 
that if you pass away like tomorrow and somebody yeah. says that you know are you satisfied with your life what would you say so honestly i've asked this question in multiple stages in my life you know where i think we there was one experience where we had write an obituary of self some training program that i was part of where uh, so I, i and for me the answer is that i would be very satisfied if i'm not dead tomorrow because i think i've done enough not that i have um, i have done things i like uh, the way i like them uh, and to the best of my ability i'm not saying i've been a great you know, i've done my job very well i could have done better but i'm super super happy with where i am so i'm mm. like it's okay if all of this just drops tomorrow yeah so be it <laughs> i'm so happy for you really <laughs> and Thank actually you. to be honest i was expecting this answer because i know that you <laughs> you basically done what you wanted to do and and you are still yeah, doing it and i hope you. you have like an amazing 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 future and you can create much more difference thank you in thank this space you. um thank you so much ma'am for your time it was lovely talking to you same here thank you so much and i hope we will be in touch even after this podcast so we will be for sure <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you thank you my dear take care bye bye bye